0: So today we finish up our heaven series. Kind of took us through the Easter season too, so we took a little time off from that. Uh we're going to be in 2 Corinthians, 1 Peter, going to move around a little bit. The whole idea is to try to kind of sum this up, you know, how do we how do we live in the light of heaven? Uh, how does how does that change who we are and how we live and does it make a difference that we have all this information and in what way? So I wanted to start you off with a quote. We've been looking at C.S. Lewis, and the reason we look at him a lot is because he was one of the few people to actually take some time to write about this stuff. Uh, There's not a lot of literature out there, but it's there. But when you look at uh, some of his writings, he he talks about uh, what he calls going home. He said, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others to do the same. It comes off of the Hebrew scripture that we, we, we're essentially made for another country. And, and you'll get in, in, even in uh, chapter 11, the hall of faith, uh, where you've got these different characters that show up and what they did and how they, they didn't receive the promise here. Is a, is a greater promise, and, and and that helps us, because these men and women lived knowing that they weren't going to get everything in this life, that's the way they lived, and sometimes we, uh, I think, forget that, and especially in some uh, New Testament ways, we, we think that we're supposed to get everything now, everything here, and we, and we get a lot now, and we get a, a lot here, uh, but going home you know uh going to heaven is going home home is an interesting word um sometimes we uh think about home as our house and that's good i mean uh, but it's different words when you get the uh, the word home that you see in in the bible when it talks about it in the new testament as a greek word that means uh dwelling with your people i think that's kind of a neat way of putting it um dwelling with other believers and, and with, with Christ. So the, the current heaven, the final, the current heaven where people go when they die in the Lord um, is home for those people because they're with their people and they're with their Lord. And then eventually the new heaven, the new earth, which we've been hitting really hard the last 10 to 12 weeks, but it's a real place. That's what we have to remember. And it makes a big difference in life, doesn't it? Knowing that this life is not what you were created to live through. I mean, that's it's hard. We just And you, you just got to keep hitting it. Because it's so easy for you to, to us to go back and and start thinking about this life only. Uh, we've, we, we don't want to be so heavenly mounted. We're no earthly good. I realize that. But we also don't want to think about this life so much that we don't, don't remember that in this world we will have trouble in the world to come, that will go away. Um, and home has to be that true reference point. That's the thing you always can go with. You know, it's one of those things, even the, the, the most uh, greatest suffering believer can still point to that. You know, one way I, I like to put it, I don't know if it works, but it's, they can't take that away from me. You know, it can take away, everything else can be stripped. You know, if you want to look at it, and we're going to hit one of his verses here in the middle of the book um, in a bit, uh, Job is a good example. Everything was taken away from him. But he still, he knew, he knew he had a home that was still to be in the future. And we talked about this last week, but I wanted to hit it again. Eternal life is a term that Jesus uses a lot. I came that you may have eternal life. Now, when we hear the word eternal, it really has two different ways of looking at it. There's the, the obviously, duration. Uh, when you look at eternity, you know, how long is that? Yeah, it's a long time. Yeah, a long, it, it's, it's a duration, never ending is another word uh, you can use, infinite. Uh, but it also has a quality to it. It's eternal because the one who gives it to you is also eternal. And that's in John 3.36, at the very end of this discourse uh, between Nicodemus, uh, John sums it up that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It's, it's a nice verse to remember, the binary idea that the Bible always puts out there, whether we like it or not. Didn't we... We two destinations. You either have eternal life or you don't. You're not like kind of part eternal life. It, it's, it's, it's either full or none. But has it, you know, if you believe, you have it already. But you don't have the benefits of it yet. That's, it's a, you get this in, in some of Paul's writings of, in Philippians, the idea that in Ephesians where you have that, that, that the spirit is a guarantee of what we get in the future. Uh, It keeps going on. And and again, in in John 5, this is Jesus kind of summing up, uh, uh, talking with some folks. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He always talks like you already have it. Uh, It does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And that's kind of what we talk. You don't want God's judgment. Because if the standard, and that's what we got to get right, if we're going to do the karma thing, where oh, did you do more good things than bad things, which is not a Christian idea, then, you know, the problem with a lot of those karma religions, Hinduism and others, is they don't ever tell you what the scale is. almost seems mean. It's kind of like our point scale here at Grace Church. You know, I might give you a point here or there. I have no idea how many points you need. and I don't even know what you can turn them in for. It's just kind of a way of making, well, yeah, I guess making fun of that idea that, you know, it seems kind of mean almost to say you need to do good things to get enough points or enough karma. How much do I need? I don't know. But I'm sure it has something to do with something you need to do for me. It's so easy to have that morph into self-centeredness. But And again, the whole idea of the cross is judgment's not something we come into. You either get grace or judgment, and we want grace. There's a reason, and that that was before I got here, that the founders of this church didn't call it Judgment Church. It doesn't flow as much, you know. It's not a good PR move. You want to come to Judgment Church? Yeah, who are we? Well, we're self-centered, and we think we're better than you. That's the tagline. That one didn't make it. You know, Grace Church, it's a good good name, good word. So knowing what is in store for believers should make us optimistic. I mean, at least when it comes to the main thing. You know, in, in Luke ten twenty, nevertheless, do not rejoice. Now, this is when the 72 went out uh, in, in Luke 10, and they, and they went out, and they were able to tell the gospel and drive out demons and heal. And it was, they came back, and they're like, I'm paraphrasing. This is really cool. We can do all this stuff. And, you know, even the demons submit to us. And this is what Jesus says in reply. Truly, truly, or excuse me, next one. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. That's just cool. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You have eternal life. You know, your names are written. It's already there. It's 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 done deal. Uh, secure in what God gives us. And the foundation is always Jesus, you know. Um, he ta- in First Peter, he's talking about the trials we go through, uh, which, you know, I, I know I really smack some of the theology that's out there that says you can have your best life now, mostly because it's just not biblical. I mean, you can have a decent life now. I mean, like right now, I mean, it's pretty nice right now, right? Are you comfortable? We got the air on, you know, you got, you know, if you need to go outside and get some more coffee, go ahead, you know, keep you awake for this. You've got another hour here, a sermon, so no, no, not really. But Peter said, you know, instead be glad, just be glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. There's something about the plan that knowing and going through all this suffering that we do go through. And even and if you have the best life in the world, people you love will die. And that that's tough. Uh, it's part of the problem of the fallen world. But no matter what suffering you have, there's something about that that the cross just redeems. You know, that God's plan was perfect, and there's a level of love and feeling of the Spirit coming to us that could not have been there if we didn't have the trials and tribulations and the cross erasing our sin. God knew what He was doing. And we see this in 2 Corinthians. This is uh, uh, in this passage uh, starting back up in verse 11. This is kind of talk. I wanted to give you a little context. So it's talking a little bit about Paul's suffering. For he says, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. Uh, So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to which has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak. So he's talking about he as an apostle and the people who have come with him to all these different churches. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That's a heaven scripture, if you didn't know that. There's a lot of them in here. 23 sermons worth. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That is a really good verse. Light momentary affliction, and I'll let you look up how many light momentary afflictions Paul had. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And I was going to stop there, but I thought the next five verses are kind of cool. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, he's talking about the bodies we have, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He's talking about the new glorified body. You can get more of that in 1 Corinthians 15. For in this tent we groan. Seems like the older you get, the more you groan. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling if indeed by putting it on we have not been found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal shall be swallowed up in life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. How do you know this, the Spirit? The the, the word that comes through the Spirit and then in your own heart that's always there. So you think about, we're in this body. It's a tent that groans, is what he says, and 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 I think we all see that. But is it, you know, when you get up in the morning and you're, if you're, I mean, even if you're younger, that can happen, right? We can, you get up and you're like things kind of creak, you know. When you get to the, if some, see some younger folks, when you get to the point where it actually sounds like it's rust, <laughs> then you're over the hill. <laughs> but but I think it is. But think about that. If that was it. How discouraging this would be, but this is not it. We've hit that really hard. Go back and look at it, uh, or read the book. (laughs) Which other way you want to do it? Death is not a wall. That's where we. It's it's a turnstile. There's a. This is in Randy Elkhorn's Heaven book. uh, A five year old Emily. uh, She uh, had gotten cancer and knew that the days were short, you know, and it's always hard when you you lose them, but five-year-olds just, you know, it's tough um, in in many ways. Uh, And she was kind of, you know, she's crying, not that she didn't love Jesus, but she just was gonna miss her family, you know? So what they, mom and dad had her do, she's, they had her go into another, this other, they had her go through the door into this room and sat and close the door. And then mom came in and then dad came in and then her brother and sister came in and their grandpa and grandma came in and then friends came in and they were showing this is what heaven's going to be like you're going to you're going to go first but the others will come i thought that was just a very neat analogy of what heaven is i suppose the only other thing we could put in there is maybe the first person that she sees when she goes in there is jesus you know and that's uh, and that isn't just a story to make a 5-year-old happy right I mean, is there anything in the Bible that would refute that? No. In fact, if you read the Bible, it's even more wondrous. You know, there's—it's not just a bedroom; <laughs> it's a eventually a new heaven and a new earth, and the light that's there. So it's a, a turnstile; it's just a passing from one to the other. Because does death still the enemy? I know it's natural. You know, we'll have Elaine's uh, memorial service here on Thursday, and it is. I mean, people. You know that, right? You know, you, know, you, you know you're getting older too and you look around a lot of people that are your age are dying. Uh, but that's, that's natural in this world, but it's still the enemy. It's the enemy, you know, and you look at this in First Corinthians 15. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. It's the enemy. It was never meant to be this way but it's just a doorway for those who believe to something greater. It's no more, it's going to no more be around at the second coming. It's destroyed. It's already defeated. We got that, we had that during Easter, right? The resurrection defeats death. It gives us eternal life and we have it. But Isaiah 25, he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his peoples he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. So you can take it to the bank, because I think this is very similar to Re- Revelation, you know, what's going to happen. So this is the, guarantee. death is not supposed to be the final word, that's the idea. And as we believe in Jesus, we know that. As you look at C.S. Lewis, his, his uh, Chronicles of Narnia, where he, he has a lot of analogy of this. But the end of this seven-book series that's it's really well done, I'll let you read it, um, in, in the last battle, they, it just really ends really cool. You know, where everything that was, all the battles and all the problems are gone, and they're just starting to get into this new country. This beautiful country with all the relationships and the people, and they're all back. The ones who have died are there, and it's just a really cool kind of look at it. But it kind of sums up, and you've heard this, right? And they all lived happily ever after. You ever thought about that phrase? Happily ever after. You have eternal life. It's kind of a good deal, isn't it? You you will live happily ever after. It's not just a Hallmark movie. Which is, you know, they live happily ever after there too, and they do it in an hour and a half, which is really cool. (laughs) Sometimes it takes longer for us, but that's true. That's it. And and you can tell somebody I've done this before, somebody who's a non-Christian, and say, "We, you really end up with the best." Oh, you're just wishful thinking. It's like, well, yeah, maybe, but my wishful thinking is backed up by this guy who showed up two thousand years ago that we found out was God gave us all this great teaching, and died and came back to life and said, you will too. Well, that's a little bit more evidence than just why I wish it. You know, it's it's really good. And then this Job scripture, because, you know, well, first of all, the Diedrich Bonhoeffer, if you remember him, the great Lutheran theologian, pacifist, but then Hitler came along. And he makes a decision to help try to get that guy out. So assassination, plot, doesn't work. Um, And I remember him writing, you know, I still feel that taking the life of the fewer has its problems, but it's better than not doing this, doing nothing I can't do. And he's a pacifist, you know, so, but he gets caught, goes to Flossenburg. um, And I think it was like four days before the armistice was signed that he gets hung and he did a lot if you letters from prison if you want to read that he did a lot of uh God used him so greatly uh to bring people to Christ in the prison camp but he's going up there and then they record his words you know it says this is the end but oh what a great beginning you know and and obviously God had given him something that cuz i think about myself it's like huh ah, where do i sign you know hell hitler you know just get me out of here you know, but no, there's just something there, you know, greater. And you see that in a lot of the martyrs. But Job and his life, and again, I, I think I talked about this slide. Job is a great book to read. It's not a book about suffering, not primarily. It's a book about faith. It's a book about trusting God through everything. And he says this. This is nine, chapter 19. It's right in the middle of the worst. He's got boils. Everything's gone. People are telling them they must have done something wrong because God would never do this to someone was faithful after my body has decayed yet in my body i will see god we think job's by far the oldest book ever written in the bible predates genesis in its writing and here you have it sounds like a new testament thing doesn't it in my body this is his bodily resurrection i will see him for myself yes i will see him with my own eyes i am overwhelmed at this thought there's just something in this guy's soul it gets him through all of this. It's a great book to read because you got these other guys that are trying to be helpful and trying to help him wisely figure this out, but they keep questioning either his character or God's, and it comes to a really good head eventually. That Jesus sums it up well in his teachings: that you'll have trouble, but He's with us. So we have this. Connection, eternal life. And the, and the the verses that came to mind to, to kind of hit that's the end of Romans. This is Romans 8. It's such a great scripture to remember. Because we think when we fall short that somehow God is going to separate from us. But again, do we think of salvation only as us reaching up to God? That's true. But is he reaching down to us? You know, and is he grabbing on to us? Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecution or or hunger or destitute or danger or threatened with death? That's a good question, isn't it? Because that's out there today, isn't it? That was back in Job. That's what they told him. You must have done something wrong or God wouldn't let this happen to you. It's a theology that Jesus tries to dispel in Paul. Maybe he's reading Job when he's writing this. I don't know. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. That's pretty strong. That's pretty much everything. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you think I always think about this, God's just got a hold of you, you know, a strong hand, you know, and it doesn't—he won't let you go. Uh, we had a song like that, didn't we? You want me to sing it? You, no, they always shake their head. No, one of these times we're going to have Pastor Brian's concert. <laughs> Nobody'll show up, but that's maybe we'll give you a free bracelet. So knowing this, how should we live? This is Richard Basher, one of the theologians of the past. This is a good quote. Uh, I'm going to go, and I, I thought this myself. You may too. You have to be careful how you say this. But he says, one would think if a man did but once hear of such unspeakable glory, and you guys got to hear it 23 times. the glory to be obtained, and believed what he had is to be true. You know, we don't have to do the, you know, the do you believe it's true? Yes, we do. But, I mean, d- but in your heart, I hope you do. If you believe it's true, he should be transported with the vehementcy of his desire after it and should almost forget to eat and drink and should care for nothing else. And speak of and inquire after nothing else but how to get this treasure. You can probably think of the great pearl in Matthew 13. And yet, and I find this in my own life a lot, and yet people who hear of it daily and profess to believe it as a fundamental article of their faith do as little mind it or labor for it as if they had never heard it of any such thing or do not believe one word they hear. You know, faith is always an active verb. You know, we think of I have faith as just trusting in the, the, the information, and, and that's part of it. But it's, you think, if this is true, should it not change how we live? It doesn't make, it doesn't say you have to smile all the time. You know, most people are annoying. I'm just kidding. But, But I think, again, there's something, well, look at Bonhoeffer, you know. I mean, he obviously understood there was something greater. And, and this Baxter quote is so good because it helps us understand that if this is really true, it should make a difference. And if it's not making a difference, let's pray God to help us make it make a difference. Because it, if it's true, this is really, really good news. That's why we call it that. You know, that's what gospel means, right? It's good news. John 16, 33, I think, sums it up so well in this life. I've told you all of this so you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome this world. Isn't that a great verse? It's right at the end of the all of it or of the upper room discourse at the end of chapter 16. It's easy to remember. Think about that. That is so. And think, you know, this idea that if you're faithful, you won't have trials and tribulations. Who are they listening to? I don't know. If I could sign up to that, I probably would. If God said, Do you want trials and tribulations and get everything in heaven that I ever want to have you? Or not. I'd probably go with or not. But He didn't ask me that. He didn't ask Job that. And whether I like it or not, it doesn't really matter what is true. I mean, think about your own life. When are the times that you get closer to God? You know, sometimes it's in a life group or a Bible study or a worship, and I think that's great. But when you really get close is when you're really, really looking for Him. And when do you really look for Him? When you're going through tough times. You know, it's just the way it works. So, and it's great. You know, it's you know He kind of whispers to us in our prosperity and he shouts to us in our suffering because we're listening. It sounds like a show. And we don't want to believe the enemy. The enemy's going to tell you that. It's, he, he does that all the time. He's always lying. He started out that way. Did God really say that you're not supposed to eat from this tree? Did God really say that there's all this great stuff later? Isn't that kind of just once upon a time stuff? You know, Jesus said this well in, his, in John 8, in a couple of verses here. For you are the children of your father, the devil. He's talking these people are rejecting him. And you love to do the evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. And most of the lies that Satan puts out there are quite subtle. God wants you to be wealthy. And if you're not, do you really want to follow him? That's subtle. That's out there, though, isn't it? You know, we could just, you're a really good pastor if you get more people here. I mean, that's that's there, it, all of us. And, and And I don't think the other, having lots of people here is a bad thing, but it shouldn't be just because of us, right? It should be. I mean, you preach the truth, you teach the truth, and if people come, great. If they don't, you find another job, right? It's not that hard. Yeah. I think you have to look at it that way. But earlier in this uh, same discourse, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Let that sit there for a minute. How many times have, have, not just me, but have people told you growing up or however that you should be in the Bible? I mean, Why? So you can know information, so you can answer some good children's sermon questions? I mean, most of the time, the answer is just Jesus. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. Which says if you don't, (laughs) ouch. But then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You want the truth, you want the truth. That's what Jesus wants to give us. Are we basing all our faith on what he said? So our daily lives, if we truly follow Jesus, should reflect this genuine loyalty. And, and whether you have a nice bracelet to tell you you're supposed to honor God, or you just have it in your head, or both would probably be good. This should always help you. What, what can I do to honor God? Well, there's plenty of verses that help us do this. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. It's, again, where are you placing your confidence? What is the main thing? And then, how do we think? You know, that's the thing. I don't know if you knew that, but Jesus doesn't just want to change the way you act. He wants to change the way you think. Think like Jesus. It's hard because he is God, but he gives us a lot of information to do this. In Philippians 4. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. This is where's our mind? You know. It's, I know there's a lot of things we can consume our minds with. One of the things, I, I've said this before, if you do travel at all, or if you have a job where you're driving, you know, I know some people have the book on, or the Bible on, on audio, and that's great too. Uh, I'm not very good at that because I start thinking after first four about something else, and I have to stop and rewind. Uh, some people are much more attentive than me. Uh, I, I tend to listen to podcasts, but most of them are Christian podcasts. You know, think on these things. And it's just, you kind of feel like you're in the conversation a little bit. And it makes the trip go really fast. You know, I don't have to have as many big gulps to get through. Because then you just got to stop and go to the bathroom. So, But so we want to reflect. And that's how do we think, you know. So as we kind of sum this up, our whole Heaven series, I think it's good to think about your own mortality. It's one of the things when you do a, a memorial service... They always said this is kind of a, a thing they told us at seminary when we had this class. So it was a, a seminar to help us kind of get into the real ministry. They said, you know, when you're doing a memorial service, somebody has died that people love. And they're listening for hope. And what's cool, we have so much of it. It's The hardest part of a memorial service is there's just so much. You gotta. You, they only give you like, out." Hey, well. Now we're doing a wedding, they're just waiting for you to shut up. And you have to remember that. I've never been told, you know, Pastor, that that wedding sermon was a little short. The shorter, the more attaboys I get, the shorter it gets. I just should get up there and say, do you? Yeah, do you? Kiss, go. And that would probably be the happiest wedding anybody ever had. But again, when we reflect on our own mortality, it's not to be morbid. It's just reality, right? Tomorrow's never promised, right? We know that. Reflect on the fact there's only two destinations. There's nothing in the Bible that says there's a third. If God wants to make a third later, that's up to him. We should not teach it because it's not in there. Think about that the world is not your home, that your home really is with the people that love God and with God. And that might be in the house now, and it might be somewhere, but ultimately it's heaven, right? It's the final heaven, the new heaven, the new earth, and then for those who die in the Lord now in this current heaven with him. Think about the fact that your own choices make a difference in eternity. Certainly the main choice of following him. That's an eternal, eternal choice. You know, it's aided by God, it's aided by other people, but it's still your choice. And then this is an old Puritan one, I love this, and think about God as your audience one. Are you honoring God with this choice? What if it doesn't honor everybody else? doesn't matter. What's cool, if you have peers, people you spend time with, that when you honor God, they're happy about it. That's kind of what you want. It doesn't mean you don't associate with people who are not in that camp, but that's really neat. And as parents, if your parents, I mean, think about that. If they're honoring you, they should be honoring God. If they're honoring you and that's not honoring God, you're doing something wrong. And how do I know? Well, read the book. You know, It's open book. For, did you know that? If I ever ask you a question about the Bible, pfft, it's open book. You got all kinds. And heck, here I can search for anything you want. I can search it in Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Latin. I don't do that often, but it, it, you can do it. It's open book. It's never hidden. And then ultimately, remember that your true home is the new heaven. That's what you were created for. We had that last week. You know, you're living the dot right now. You're going to live the line. This is just a small, small piece of what your total existence will be. So we're going to finish up here with Second Peter. Uh, it's just so good. Um, he does. Uh, Peter came a long way. We kind of get to be a fly on the wall and watch him kind of progress and mature as a disciple uh, in the Gospel of Mark, which we will be starting next week, uh, which Peter was probably the big source for. Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, he's talking about the new heaven and the new earth and the old dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening, the coming of the day of God, so that always at expectation, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt and burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Righteousness is relationship word, right relationship with God and each other. So, what lasts forever? Well, God, Father, Spirit, Holy, the Son, God's Word lasts forever. We're going to be studying that more. So you might as well get started now, right? His people and His place, we know those are all not going away. And we should invest our time there. So heaven, current and final, should be one of our main goals and motivations in this life. Because we, Paul says he's not achieved everything, but he he presses on toward that goal. It's always a goal of of trying to win the prize, which is God, which is Christ. That's what you focus on. And I want to finish up this idea with, we've had this these verses uh, over and over again. Uh, Revelation 21, this is to finish up our Heaven series. The band can start coming up if they want. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth For the former things have passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Let us pray. Fathers, we've gone through this series. We've seen there's so much promise about what you have prepared for us. For everyone who calls your son Savior, for everyone who accepts the grace and uh, tries to live by faith. May we all remember that as we go through the storms of life, that we have the main thing, that nothing will separate us from you, and you have prepared a place. May we always remember that we are home with you in this life and the next. We thank you for doing exactly what we need to be your children, to be your sons and daughters. May we always try to act like it out of gratitude. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.